Hey everybody, welcome to episode 43 of Two Views Movies Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Two Views Movies Podcast, a spoiler-filled podcast by two guys who love watching movies almost as much as we love arguing about them. I'm Garrett. And I'm Carson. And episode 43 today is all about Sorry to Bother You. <laughs> yeah, this one's going to be an interesting discussion. It's one, if you're on, I don't know if Facebook's been doing it, but if you're on movie Twitter at all, it's had a lot of buzz since it was out at one of the festivals in the spring, and then ever since it hit the theaters, it's just... There's been a lot of talk about this movie. Oh, rightfully so. Yes, rightfully so. For a lot of different reasons, too. I mean, some more than others. We will dive into those as we go. But, you know, we actually had, sorry to bother you, our, when you and I were talking about what movies to preview for July, we had that on our list. And then it got scrapped. Yeah, because I, I had been wanting to see it, and I know I had told you about it, because you're like, what is sorry to bother you? I'm like, go watch the trailer. And then we both watched it. I think I was more along the lines of, it's a smaller indie movie. Not many people are going to know about it. So is it worth trying to go and see it? I mean, I genuinely wanted to see it, but I didn't know if it was going to be worthwhile to to podcast about. Or even if it was going to get a, yeah. a full theatrical release. Yeah, because at the time I was like, oh, there's no way B&B shows this. I'm going to have to, like we had to do for... Um, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, for like we had to do for Won't You Be My Neighbor, we had to go track down a different theater to go see it at because I didn't think B&B was going to play it. Right. So that's why it wasn't in our July preview. But once it had enough traction, we felt like... Let's go see it. Let's go see it. And Well, the traction is a whole other story, but <laughs> we will jump way back now. So if you haven't heard of Sorry to Bother You, it is a small indie film, but it does have people that you will clearly recognize once you watch the movie. But story-wise, letterbox blurb like we always do. In an alternate present-day version of Oakland, black telemarketer Cassius Green discovers a magical key to professional success, which propels him into a macabre universe. And that's a little bit of an art housey description. Right. <laughs> right. So it's directed by Boots Riley, who's never directed anything. I believe he wrote the screenplay as well. You may know Boots if you heard of a rap group called The Coup, or if you knew of Street Sweeper Social Club, which is a band him and Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine had together. But movie-wise, this yeah, is it. This is it. The cast is, is a really, really strong cast, to be honest. It's Lakeith Stanfield, who played Snoop in Straight Outta Compton, and played the friend in Get Out, who wore the, the hat and got the light flashed in his eyes. Yeah, he's the old man that you first saw yeah. as the... Yeah. Yeah. And then Tessa Thompson, who's in essentially everything, everything right now, and deservedly so. And Stephen Yun, who is Glenn in Walking Dead. Was Glenn. Was Glenn, yeah. I don't know if you're spoiling Walking Dead for Probably. Anybody. I stopped watching, so I don't it, care. If you haven't gotten to that point by now, <laughs> yeah. then tough. Right. Tough. Uh, Army Hammer, who I usually find to be kind of annoying. I don't know why, but the last few movies that I've seen him in, I've liked him in. The Winklevoss Twins? Yeah. And the... In The Lone Ranger? Yeah. But he was in, well, he's in Call Me By Your Name, which I never saw. But I've heard he was really good in. But I liked him I in this. I either. And there was one other movie I've seen him in recently that I thought Uncle, he was good. Uncle? A man. Yeah, Man from, from Uncle. Uncle. I like yep. him in that. And then there's Terry Crews. He's not in it very much, but you got to give Terry Crews his. And Danny his Glover. No love for Danny Glover? Danny Glover, yeah. That's more of a spot role. I guess he probably had, yeah, around the same amount as Terry Crews. Right. Maybe. Terry Crews with hair. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Okay, so 
this one is going to be really interesting. I, I think we just have to kind of make our way through the plot okay. and just talk about it bit by bit. Cause I think there's a, a, a chance that we could gloss right over stuff. I think that some people are going to hate this movie. Oh, without a doubt. And some people are going to love it. Some will. And some will be in the middle, which sounds like every movie, but it's, it's probably more polarizing than most movies that are out there. I think it's love, hate, and then I have no idea what I just watched. Yeah, or maybe you loved half of it and hated the a, other, third. a third of it, and then <laughs> you don't know where you stand. Right. I almost didn't want to talk about this movie even after we watched it, because it feels like I'm not going to do it justice. I feel like this deserves somebody who, like, we don't consider ourselves film critics. No. We just like to watch movies and talk about them. This feels like something that needs to be analyzed by somebody who took film class. Well, I think he has a much deeper purpose of this movie than than what I was viewing it for. Sure. And I'm sure you could, yeah, you could do a class on... <laughs> this whole movie and, and why and why different things happened throughout the entire movie. I'm sure it is all very intentional for the casual moviegoer. It, yeah, yeah, it's and something else. The the piece that I left out about Boots Riley is that all of his music is very progressive, agenda pushing, very anti capitalist, and that comes across very clearly in this movie and from the trailer. And so yeah. you, you knew what you were getting into if you watched the trailer. I don't know if you knew how much. Like, there, there's, there's movies that have messages, and then there's a movie that is an entire message, right? Like, Well, the whole... I mean, you can get to the plot here. Yeah. Uh, and the plot is he's out of work, although his interview... Uh, I've just now remembered his yeah, interview. Yeah, Lakeith Stanfield is the guy that's out of work. His... His interview, I think, I just changed my favorite scene. Yeah. Because I just remembered the interview as, as I'm saying it out loud. <laughs> it's uh, so good. That, that, was, that, was a, that was a perfect interview. Yeah. And, you know, he makes up where he, his resume, and it happens to be where the guy, his boss, his future boss, worked previously. And right. So he knows that he never but worked he, there. But he forged all this stuff, right? No, yeah. it's not like he just forged his resume. He had a picture of himself on a plaque that said... Uh, employee of the month. Employee of the month. <laughs> and then he had a trophy. Was it from high school? Yeah. Uh, it was something something, like yeah. But he had all this stuff that he brought into the interview. And then the guy's like, well, I know you that you weren't employee of the month at this because I was at that company. I, I, I was the branch manager yeah. of that bank. Right. And you did not work for me. Right. <laughs> But then it actually, that's the reason he gets hired, right? Because the manager is like, I applaud the effort. So you're hired. You're hired. Yeah. Because <laughs> it, it doesn't take much to get this job, essentially, no. is what he was, which is a telemarketer, you know? Right. So he's calling people to to sell stuff. And this is all in the trailer. And we can get to get to your favorite scene. Yeah. I don't know that it's my, is it my favorite scene? Uh, I'm asking you like you should know what my favorite scene is. I don't think it was well, it's, would, okay. It's one of your favorite. highlights of the yes, movie. Yes, one of my highlights of the movie was as he makes each phone call. So at first he's struggling with the phone calls, but as he's doing them, visually in the movie, it takes his desk and like airdrops him down into the living into room, the living yeah. room of the person he's talking to. So there's one couple having sex when they're on the phone. There's another where the lady's crying because I think she lost a family member. But it. It's just kind of a clever little touch that to put them in the same room together. Yeah, yeah, it really didn't add or take away anything from the movie message wise. It was just a very cool little touch that I was like, "Oh, nice, well done on that." Yeah, I like that too. I like that too. And so he wasn't 
he wasn't doing very well. And then uh, his cube mate, his neighbor, Danny Glover, says, you know, use your white your white voice. Right. And so and that and that's in the trailer. And so you that alone tells you what kind of movie this is gonna be. And, yeah. and it will have, you know, that sort of agenda, you know, towards it of everything that's that's going on there. The right. so, social differences there. And so you use your white voice and you become successful. Right. And that's essentially what happens. That scene was really funny though, because it's Danny Glover trying to tell him the right kind of white voice to use. Because he right. tries a couple of times like, no, 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 That I wish I could remember exactly what he tells him. It's like <laughs> I forget exactly how it works, but he finally basically gets his perfect white voice, which is what Danny Glover has one too. Right. And I think I have this right, but I think like Keith Stanfield's voice was David Cross and uh, Danny Glover's was Patton Oswalt. So they're, they're two very like typical white guy sounding voices, <laughs> but it was a very funny touch. Cause then when it shows them talking in their white guy voice, it's clearly dubbed over, but it, it works so funny. And then I'm, of course, once he starts using his white guy voice, he starts making sales, M- left making and right. sales, you yeah. know, and gets promoted and, and all that. And that and that's the kind of movie that I thought I was getting, you know, just more along that that line, right? And you, for the most part, you do, yeah. For the most part, you get that. Yeah. So his relationship with Tessa Thompson, she's his girlfriend, and they're both poor together before he gets this job. And the more successful that that he gets. You know, the more strained their relationship is because basically, are you a sellout for this company or, you know, are you with our agenda? Right. And she's like the, she's a starving artist, right? She's trying to get big in the art world and he's never really amounted to much. And he, typical guy girl thing, right? He's trying to make more money to give her and them a better life because he thinks that's what she wants. And yeah, he, I forget what they call the elite callers, but they keep talking about how. Like when they walk into the telemarketing company, they can see this golden elevator that takes people. Power caller. Power caller. Okay. To go upstairs. Yeah, to yes. go upstairs, which, you know, is like every sales movie that there is, right? So there's this whole thought behind how how is Cassius going to start selling enough to be able to move upstairs. And there's a whole bunch of other telemarketers in there with him. Stephen Yun is one of them. Everybody wants to get to that next level, but it's it's a slummy place. You're kind of shown that the workers aren't treated very well it's all commission yeah all and, then, commission. and even that is is not enough apparently right the managers are complete jerks but there's some corporate buzzwords thrown around with some training and the, stick the tra- to the, the script tra- training training was pretty good yeah uh, i like i like that scene because if you've ever been in any sort of environment like that you're like yes <laughs> yeah and that's it that was part of the beauty of this was that it it's a hyper reality it's it's the reality we've all experienced well some of us more than others but it's you can get enough of the context there where you're like, okay, I've been in meetings that were that bad before that they say, here's the corporate lingo that we're throwing out at you and just do your job, but you know, stick to the plan and the hierarchy. And it's like, okay. Right. <laughs> but but it, it was funny. I, I wish I could remember more about that speech where they were giving the training. Cause I do remember it being pretty funny. Right. Right. So anyway, Cassius starts working his way up essentially. And at the same time that he's starting to work his way up, the other workers are starting to want to revolt against management because of all the way that they're treated and not making enough money. They're all going on strike. They're all going on strike. And of course, in a typical movie fashion, it's timed pretty much right where right around the time that Cassius moves up because he, he wants to strike as well. But then they kind of pull him aside and say, oh, you're now a power caller. <laughs> yeah. And that meeting was pretty funny, too, because they pull him in. He thinks he's about to get fired for 
protesting. Inciting the riot, yeah. Yeah, and then they say, hey, guess what? You're going to be a power caller now. So as the rest of his friends, but Tessa Thompson never worked there, but she gets kind of wrapped up in all of it, She did work there. Okay. Because they did show her eventually in the cube next to him. Yeah, you know, I thought so, but then as I was remembering back, I couldn't, I I thought I maybe misremembered that. Okay, so Tessa worked Yeah, never showed her calling anybody, but she started to be in with all of them. Yeah, so we have this intersection coming up where Cassius is going to be uh, promoted to a power caller while everybody else is trying to revolt and go on strike. And then essentially he has to cross the picket line because right. the moral of the story is the workers want rights. They want to have all this power. But once he made it and made it for himself, he started to not care about the people down below anymore. He's out for himself. Right. right. He moves into a nicer apartment and starts having nicer cars and all these things. And so it keeps showing him day after day crossing a picket. Hey. Paid off his uncle's house. Yeah. yeah. And bought him. Yeah. Right. But and obviously then his friends resent him. And Right. I mean, that's and so. And, and again, you think that's kind of where this movie is, mm-hmm. you know, and so far this is pretty much what you'd expect, I think, from the trailer. Yeah. And so, again, we're going down a, a, a good path here. <laughs> right. The other piece of it is Army Hammer, right? He gets right. introduced along the way where after Cassius becomes a power caller, Army Hammer is the CEO of this company. Right. As no. well, he's not, I mean, I know he's CEO of the worry-free company, yeah. but I thought he was also involved with this company. No, they were trying to hire this company to work for, for worry-free. worry-free. Okay. To sell for worry-free. Okay. So along the way, we've been shown these commercials throughout the whole movie of this company called worry-free. And essentially what it does is it allows people to go work at worry-free and they'll pay for their food because they basically live on site right. and live in bunk beds and they get all food, all expenses paid, but you have to work for worry free just like, for it's indentured it's, servitude. Yeah. It's like a, a dorm room with, with four, yeah. four bunk mates, right. you know, but they, the commercials are really overly done, right? They're clearly trying to have the commercials say everybody's that this is heavy. A, yeah. Everybody's <laughs> having a great time when really it, it's slave labor or at least indentured servitude. So there's this undercurrent of that going on through the whole movie where I think Terry Crews talks about possibly going and joining Worry Free. Right, because you don't have to worry about making payments or anything anymore. Yeah. He can just live his life. Yeah, and yeah. Cass just was like, no, you can't do that. You cannot go work for this place. He he doesn't want Terry Crews to go take that job because even though the commercials painted out to be really awesome, he knows, that, I think, underlying that there's something wrong. And, of course, the audience knows that there's something wrong with Worry Free as well because it's painfully obvious. So... Moving along, as we get to where Cassius is more successful, he finally gets to meet Army Hammer. Right. Yeah. So, like, his first phone call as a power caller sells, you know, like a million million units or whatever. And so he just, just crushes it. And so Army wants to, to meet him. Yeah. Well, and when he becomes a power caller, I just remember this. The elevator scene, for some reason, completely <laughs> killed me because they get they finally makes it and gets in that gold elevator or whatever. And the passcode was like 35 <laughs> digits long. And it shows the lady sitting there, keep entering it over and over. And I wish I could place who the voice was on the elevator. I know it was somebody famous, but I couldn't quite get it in the while I was watching it in the theater. That pumps up their attitude or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> that gives yeah. them more confidence as they go up. But yeah, she had this big long piece of paper punching all the all the codes in just to get up the elevator. <laughs> yeah. So the first time we see Army Hammer, Cassius gets invited up. And we see Army Hammer doing the biggest line of coke in the world. Yeah, the first time Cassius meets him. Yes. Right. Yeah. 
So from there, they make their way, you know, they're having a conversation, whatever, but they make their way to a party that Army Hammer's throwing. Right. And this leads to (laughs) my favorite scene, but it was super uncomfortable. It was a very, very uncomfortable scene for the people in the movie and I think the people watching the movie. Right. So it's it's a rap scene. And they're at this party and Army Hammer's got a lot of people and there's a lot of white people there. It's all white people. It's all white people. Except for the guy that brought him upstairs and and Cassius. Yes. And they, I don't know if it's Army Hammer that asked him or somebody in the crowd, but like they basically assume that because Cassius is black that he can rap. Right. Hey, why don't you rap for us? He's like, no, no, no. He's kind of didn't want to do it. And, you know, there's a ton of peer pressure. So he does it. And when he starts rapping, you can tell he's uncomfortable because he's not, he doesn't, he's never rapped. He's not a rapper. Yeah. And he says that a few times. He goes, yeah. I can't rap. I don't know how to rap. Right. You know, and then they keep yeah, chanting. Yeah. <laughs> and so he starts and he's just kind of rapping about normal everyday stuff, but it's not very good. And like the, the crowd's completely awkward, silent, and you're just getting really uncomfortable. And he's kind of, I think he's like up on some steps or something. So he's, yeah. he's in like a spotlight. It's almost like a stage. Yeah. Yeah. And then. He, you can see him processing. He's like, okay, nobody, I'm not good at this. Nobody's cheering for me. What does what, what do white people want to hear? Yeah, and then he just starts basically rapping the N word and shit over and over again. He just keeps saying that over and over again to like a, a kind of beat, and then everybody goes nuts. Everybody goes nuts, and they start chanting it along with him, and then the crowd's all into it, and all the white people are going crazy, and. I I just I like I found myself crouching in my seat like <laughs> oh this is so uncomfortable and that's where there's a ton of I don't even know if it's uh subversive I I think it's pretty clear the message that's being right sent there it it was really really brutal but in a in a good way right I mean it's such a strong commentary that one the only black guy in the room and all the white people assume he knows how to rap. Right. And then he starts kind of rapping and it's about issues that are relevant to him. They're just like, well, that's not very good. But then he starts dropping the N word and does it in a little sing songy beat. And then everybody's like, Oh, you know, rapping along with them. And it's like, yeah, there's so much going on in that scene that I just, yeah, he got, that was the credit to Boots Riley. Cause he got that across in a very, very stark way. Yeah. And again, we're still in line with you, you think that you're going to get a lot of this. Yeah. And and you do. Yeah. Yeah. And so then we go back to Army Hammer's office and, you know, he does another line of Coke. I think so. And yeah. then he offers up a, uh, it's kind of, kind of a circle of Coke to, to Cassius. And he, so he does it. And uh, then they start talking about Cassius' future of Army's trying to get him to come work for worry, worry free and sell their services to companies, basically selling slave labor to whatever company needs it. And so he gets kind of uncomfortable because now he's remembering, you know, Tessa Thompson and, and do I want to really go to that next level? Cause he's just been selling stuff before now. And now he's selling people. And so he asked to go to the bathroom and sent down the hall and he, he he goes down. He opens the door. And he goes. <laughs> the funniest thing about that though was, Army Hammer tells him to go. The bathroom's in the Jade door. Jade door. And he goes yes. down this hallway. And there's like three green doors, all of different <laughs> shades. And then he comes back up later. But yeah, yeah. So, so he, he goes into one of the doors, 
it's like this really dingy, dungeony bathroom type. And I'll be perfectly honest. I told you this already. I thought it was a gas chamber because somebody earlier in the movie makes a random one-off comment where they're like, it's not like comparing apples to oranges. It's like comparing apples to Holocaust. So that, and that had stuck with me in my head. <laughs> so when he went in there, I was like, is this a gas chamber? What is about to happen? So I knew something was going on because they really set the tone when you, when he opens that door, but that was my first thought and it, I was completely wrong. And it almost looks like the room from Saw. Yeah, I can see that too. With a... Uh... With a stall. Yeah. You know, and it's a bathroom stall. And so he's in there and he hears somebody saying, help me. Uh, there's some kind of screaming or moaning or talking. I don't, I don't remember. And so he's kind of, you know, okay, what's going on? And then does he decide to open the door? Somehow the door comes open. The door comes open. Yeah. And we see a mutant hybrid horse person naked horse man yeah it is and what yeah. <laughs> essentially it, 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 or, or what we're watching right now yeah and it's chained up uh to the stall and writhing on the ground and saying help me and and all these things and so uh, like most people would do he he takes off yeah and he runs out there runs into army in the in the hallway and army said no i said the jade door he's like i thought that was <laughs> right <laughs> and so then they go back to army's office and clearly cassius you know he's like i just did a line of coke yeah you know, what's what's going on you know and so they sit down they watch <laughs> they watch a video uh, where army admits to turning people into horse people because horse people can lift more than a normal human so they can work harder and he wants Cassius to willingly turn himself into a horse person because he has that charisma that can lead people and he wants them to be the horse people um MLK. Yeah. Like <laughs> and that's what he says. That's what he says. Yeah. And uh and Cassius like, why would I do that? And he's like, well you'd have a a horse wang. Yeah. He's like, like, that's a selling feature. And then three years would give you the antidote and you, you turn back into normal and cash like, and it shows in the video how they turn people into horse people. And it's through a powder, uh, that, that they give them Mm -hmm. Uh, unknowingly is is what they said. And, uh, and he goes, I, he goes, wait, was that Coke? Or was that this horse powder? And he's like, I wouldn't do that to you, you know, without you knowing it. Cash, obviously, he's against this whole thing. And so he uh, he leaves and runs away and it's like, I can't believe this happened. And the entire time, I'm still sitting there like, what the hell did this movie just turn into? <laughs> yeah. uh, like, I, Which was everybody's reaction at the end. That's not just a me and you reaction. No. I, nobody has knew that was coming like i'm i'm still trying to process what <laughs> what had just happened and i even i looked over to my wife and she kind of has this just dumbfounded look on her face and i, and I kind of looked to the people to my left and they're yeah you know, everyone's just kind of jaw dropping what just happened yeah it, and so i'll let you you take it from here but it i honestly don't remember what else happens between that and the end of the movie other than Cassius wants nothing to do with it. He kind of starts to see that everything he's been doing is warped. He lost his friends because along the way he lost his friends, uh, Stephen Yun, who he'd become friends with. He lost, he lost Tessa Thompson along the way because, you know, she sold out, he sold out and she ended up hooking up with Stephen Yun, um, along the way. But he, 
eventually figured out that everything he was working for was just for money and excess and all this stuff and that he lost everything that he really wanted that mattered yeah yeah so he works his way back to being normal he gives it all up and so the entire movie there's rioters out front of worry free and they're always trying to get through the rioters to get to work and every every day they, they push people aside and you know get through yeah and so cassius frees these horse people and puts them in the the mob to keep the the, yeah. the the rioter or for the workers from getting through because they think if they can stop them from getting to work then it'll shut down the company. And so you have four, five, six naked <laughs> horse people yeah. running around and fighting these police officers and the or these riot police. That's true. I forgot about that part. And it's like what. Why? Why? I don't. I don't understand why <laughs> well, this movie took this turn. It, basically, it just it just turned the dial way up. I mean, it was already messaging hard. It's a on. different dial. Yeah, it's I mean, not even. It's not even up. It's a. It's a completely different dial. Of this is a different movie. This is the the last. Yeah. Gosh, is it twenty minutes? Is it even that long? I don't know. But the last twenty minutes is so completely different from the rest of the movie that, like it when it ended. I'm, I'm to the, to this day. I'm still I'm still just dumbfounded. What did we just watch? Yeah, you don't expect you know horse mutant people to show up in the last twenty minutes of a movie no. ever, especially one like this. No, but no. I mean, you, you can tell he's really Boots Riley was really trying to go for a, a giant exclamation mark and really just like you know maybe we had kind of a mouthful of messaging and then he just wanted to just cram it home with something so absurd that it would stick in everybody's minds like what's more absurd than than worry free where you have indentured servitude and everybody's going along with it well I, i'm guessing where he's coming from is what would an ultra capitalistic person do once they've figured out that they've got human labor for free well they'll want another source of labor for free that's bigger faster better stronger so what could he come up with that would represent that? Well, we just come up with horse people. Horse people. Right. Because, I mean, if you view society a certain way, which Boots Riley does, that's probably what would happen. I mean, at the point that you've got the best workforce lined up, which is humans, then you have to find a way to make humans better. I mean, it happens in today's world anyway already, right? Like athletes try to figure out how to get better, faster, stronger, and put stuff in their bodies to make them. So, Corporations would do the same thing to try and get people, their workforce, better, faster, stronger. See, and I, and before we get get into that piece, I guess so. The the end is the the snort that he took yeah. earlier wasn't cocaine. It, it did turn him into a horse person. Yeah, and he united those horse people to go take down Army Hammer's mansion. Yes, and that that's where it ends. I think, I think so. Yeah. I mean, it was like twelve thirty. Yeah, at the time and I, I think I, I, think, I think that's where. It ends with with them, you know, riding his house, yeah. you know, and raiding his house. And so on that though, I I knew he was going to turn into a horse, not because of the line that he did, but I if there's any scene I want to see again besides the rap scene, it's this one because something in the way that it was filmed or done reminded me of Thriller, where when he you know turns around when he turns around and his eyes are yellow, I think. I feel like they were giving like an homage to that because I, I got the sense <laughs> that, well, no, because I, I don't know why they would, but 
there was something I think in the way that Tessa was acting in some way in the way that it was filmed and how he was that I just knew he was going to turn around and look differently. I, I knew it. And I, I don't think I'm making it up. I think it's there, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I immediately knew that was going to happen. And that, that's where we come back to, to what, the points you're making earlier of, he tried to put this exclamation point on it. And to me, I think it lost because of that, because of these horse people and naked horse people for that matter. It lost everything that it did in the first, you know, two and a half or hour and a half of the movie. Yeah. And it's like, like, that's what I remember are these giant naked horse people, you know, running around the city. I was like, that's like, yeah, that, I mean, that, I, it, it detracted from everything else <laughs> that we had done so far. I mean, that's the problem with an exclamation mark, right? Some people are going to like it and be like, yeah, that was awesome way to punctuate this movie. And it really like took it in a different turn. You don't see this every day. Some people like that kind of thing. Other people are like, what in the hell just happened? And like we, we truly sat through the credits until <laughs> it went black and then the lights came on and we were still just dumbfounded. Yeah. And so I immediately texted you <laughs> and I said, you need to see this tomorrow. Because I d- and don't read anything. Yeah. I don't. I didn't want anything to be spoiled. Of well, I know there's horse people coming, and so I'm just kind of waiting for that. Because sure. it was so shocking to both of us that it changed our whole perception of the movie. And you, <laughs> I remember you asking me, "You go, well, did you like it?" And my reply was, "I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't even know what I'm feeling right now. Of did I like it? That it totally." And 180 is not even enough, you know, (laughs) into something completely different. Uh, I'm not even sure I still know. Yeah, I think this is one that will definitely benefit a lot from a second viewing because you get that initial shock out of the way, which some movies, you know, rely on that shock value for their effect to get their rating. And I think that is possibly true of this one. But I think if I watch it again, knowing what's going to happen, I think I'll... I think I'll like it more because I'll be able to kind of process what's all happening now again and watch for signs of other things and see how they try and tie it in. But it is a very divisive piece to put into a movie. I mean, there's no arguing about it. I mean, if it happened earlier in the movie, people might walk out. But I think when it was so far in the movie, you know, you didn't risk that. Well, see, if it happened earlier in the movie, I don't think you're as invested in this Right. Almost normalcy. I mean, not. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's you, not. You, a, it's you, not a normal. It's movie. not a normal. But you, you know what you're, what you're in. Yeah, you're, you're in that world. And yeah, then it changes your entire world. But the more I think about it, the more I mean, it, there's no way to say it's not shocking. But the more I think about it, the more I do think it makes context in the sense of all the messaging that he's giving you. I mean, he's just he's been on the edge the whole movie with this hyper reality and all the stuff that he's doing. And he just finally just kicked the thing over the edge and said, have fun with it. I mean, which I think took it into a, the wrong direction of he had a very good movie there. And then I think the problem is that he had a he had a good movie and you're right, but I don't know that people were picking up on that it's essentially you could argue it's a satire. So he went full satirical in the end. If he didn't know people were picking up on that, that I mean he you laid had, it on pretty thick yeah, throughout the entire but movie. But like you've called me out before and about knowing movie audiences. There's there's people that don't watch a lot of movies like us and and process like all the things that are really being said and done in a movie. This it's very hard. And and to be honest, I think the people that went to see 
the trailer movie thinking of that yeah that what what type of you know um you know using the white voice and things like that i think <laughs> most of that audience was terribly disappointed in what and the in the ending that they got you you'd mentioned the comparisons to to get out before yeah and you know that movie throughout you know it has that message mm-hmm and this had that message and then just off the rails. Yeah, so but I think it depends. So Get Out's message was almost entirely racial and social. Right. This one, I think, is definitely racial for sure. But I think it's more class and workers' rights and the uh, capital, anti-capitalist, essentially. And I don't know. I think people are accustomed to... Uh, racial messages and social messages. I'm not sure how much they're picking up on like anti-capitalist messages in movies. You mean like in the Last Jedi? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's just apparently the fact that we have women, uh, women generals. <laughs> I'm at the casino. Yeah, the, yeah. The capitalists and warmongers. Yes. So I, I guess where we were at on this was that I think you you call me out sometimes for giving audiences too much credit in recognizing yes. things and nobody watches as many movies as and I think you're giving the audience too much credit in this for picking up on the messaging. I mean, clearly they understand there's a strike going on, but are they really understanding that what Boots Riley is saying is that, you know, workers should be empowered and the CEOs are so capitalistic that they're willing to turn humans into something else so they can get cheaper, stronger labor force. I I, I think they see it as why is the horse people in it? So I'm not sure that they're well, because quite it's so Right, because they didn't need the horse people. I think that detracted from the message. But I think the message all the way through, I thought was pretty clear. And and that's and that maybe maybe not. I uh, think, maybe the audience. I doesn't. think in these types of movies, sometimes it was when so we, heavy handed, though. And so I don't, see, I don't think it was heavy handed. Which, when I say heavy handed, I mean like they beat you over the head with it. No, that that the, they're like I guess I, I would almost call it like ham fisted, where it's they're not doing it in a clever way. They're really just like having characters tell you exactly what's going on. What I will say is, when that happens in this movie, it's done in a satirical way, not in a way where it's like trying to be preachy or like you know you have to do this or the, you know you're a bad person. It, it it's almost a dark comedy. No, it's definitely a dark comedy. So it, I think it takes a different meaning. I just don't know how much people are going to pick up on it. I mean, they will now that they've heard you and I talk about it, apparently. But, but at the time, I just don't know how many people watch a movie with that, like, and, and really want to process what it is they're seeing. Like, like when they saw, for example, the rap scene. Like, do you think most people sat there and really like dissected why, why that was that? Cassius all of a sudden started doing that, and why they started liking the music, and or did they just oh, think, think it so. was funny? No, I think so. I think there's enough in the world today to know what they were doing. If you're, so, then, if you're socially aware, and I'm not sure how much I, of a general like, audience. And I don't think they hit it to the point to where people wouldn't get that. It was, it's pretty out there. Yes, it is, it is out there. But to me, it's done in like a, a satirical way, not in a way where it's like just constantly beating you over the head with it. That somehow it, both this and Get Out managed to do that in ways that I thought were, yes, they were very upfront with their message, but not in a way where I was like, okay, come on. Well, I mean, I think Get Out did it better than this. I mean, you flat out say, use your white voice to sell more. I mean, <laughs> that's it, just it, funny, though. It, it is, but it's, 
it's right there. I mean, you're just, you're just putting it out there of, of, okay, you're going to sell more if you sound white. Yeah. White people want to buy from somebody who sounds white. Yes. I I will say that Get Out was trying to be more subversive with it. You know, they were trying to kind of undercut social norms without you knowing that they're undercutting them. This was like, you're right. I'm going to take it on and just make fun of it because it's ridiculous. Yeah. And again, I think when it got to the mutant horse people, it just totally detracted from <laughs> what I thought was a really good movie up to that point. Yeah. And so uh, I and, think and I will hate the horse thing less as I go on. I think you just stop the movie before you get there and then. No, because like, then, like, no. then I don't see the thriller reveal. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think everybody was great in this movie. And I get so running down the list, Boots Riley, I think, has to be given a an immense amount of credit for being a first time director. It's his screenplay. He clearly had a vision and a story he wanted to tell and he flat out told it and it didn't seem like he cut any corners to do it. And it's an indie movie and it's got all sorts of buzz and made all sorts of money. So, I mean, hats off to him. I mean, he's going to get a lot more money for his next movie. And speaking of his next movie, would you see it not knowing what it is? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah why not i mean say what you want about this it, i mean if you hated it then then no but it, it at least was uh, like i said it at least was his vision and he executed it. it's clever i've n- never seen anything like it so good for him that that is a very true statement i have never seen anything like this yeah if that's a, if that's what you're going for <laughs> yeah. so then I I thought everybody was good in it, right? I thought uh, Lakeith Stanfield was fantastic. Yeah, I agree. He's gonna he's gonna win some awards at some point. Tessa was awesome. Uh, T- Tessa she, usually is awesome. I thought she was just okay in this. I think she was underutilized. Was my problem? I thought like they didn't really do much. Like her character started out really cool, and then they just didn't really like move her anywhere. It became all about Cassius, which I think is fine. But I wanted to see more of. Um, more of Tessa. Yeah. Speaking of Tessa, though, there was no good way to talk about this scene because it just doesn't work in anything. But when she's doing her performance art and standing there <laughs> naked with a motorcycle helmet on and getting stuff thrown at her, and she's reciting lines from uh, The Last Dragon. The Last Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> I was dying because I knew the exact scene she was quoting, and I was I was laughing quite hard to myself. And I don't think anybody else in the theater really understood what I, I doubt anybody knew the last dragon well enough yeah. to understand what was being quoted yeah and i was like very few and so that was a interesting choice too yeah because you know i i immediately caught myself knowing full well that my wife had no idea what the last dragon was nor was i going to attempt to explain it right. while we were there and i was like okay i'm just gonna enjoy the fact that he, he chose that for some reason yeah i think yeah i mean it's a hilarious nod to the last dragon i mean the, the quote that she was doing had a female empowerment message message to it so i understood why she was saying it but yeah not really sure how boots came to the <laughs> landing spot of we're gonna have her quote last dragon but i loved it <laughs> all right i felt like we rambled this episode but i also feel like that's about how my head felt when i left this movie so this is probably a pretty adequate representation of what i felt like when i left so sorry to bother you so we'll go with uh these questions here so I'll let you go first all right. Would you rate it? I gave it a three. Why is that? Um, partially because I didn't think it was bad, and I didn't know how much I really liked it. 
So I wanted to give it a, a rating that I thought represented that I thought it was a good movie and that I liked it, but it, it has a lot of flexibility and wiggle room in there. But I, I think we've covered everything in terms of why, um, generally speaking, it it's a quirky movie. So I thought of movies like Eternal Sunshine and Fear and Loathing. So movies like that that are really kind of bizarre, um, not mainstream. Those. Which those two I I really don't like, but you those are higher in your list. Yeah, but I mean, you can watch them whether you like them or not. You watch them like, oh, that that's a that's a different movie. So it has that kind of vibe to it. I, I did really enjoy the first two thirds of the movie, uh, and even the social commentary that came along with it. And I thought it got more and more scathing or biting as it went along, which I was enjoying. The horse turn <laughs> did feel <laughs> unnecessary. We've talked about it. It felt like an exclamation mark that he was trying to put on the movie and. That's going to turn some people off, but some people are really going to like it. And we've talked about how I I commend it for being an indie film and doing what it needed to do to make its mark and and give him more voice because that that clearly is his voice and he's going to get a lot more opportunities after that. And then I'm definitely looking forward to a second viewing. I want to really be able to sit down and think about what it is I'm watching the next time. So your favorite moment? Mine was the rap scene. It was close first to the last dragon scene because how often am I going to see like a half naked Tessa Thompson quoting last, last dragon, dragon in a movie? That, you probably won't ever see that again. Right. This is, she's like, well, I probably I've done that. Right. <laughs> yep. And so what would you change? I would, I would probably drop the horse stuff if only for, like I said, I think I will grow into appreciating that a little bit more because it's not so abrasive, but it is abrasive, and I think you could have got your point across a slightly more subtle way, but I don't know. As we've been talking about it more and more, I, I'm a little bit more open to the idea of what it was. In theater or couch? I would say couch. At this point, you know, I, I understand the need to go to the theater so you can see it without being spoiled, but at the point in time that that's either past or whatever, I, I don't think you have to rush out to the theater to see it. And pay for it or free? I would wait for free. In a popcorn movie, or is this an art house movie? This is an art house movie. Very, very much an art house movie. This is not something that the general public would just go see on a random Saturday afternoon. <laughs> so an Oscar or a Razzie? Uh, it's, it's an Oscar movie. I think Boots Riley did a fantastic job directing, no matter what you think of it. I, you know, I don't think that anybody will actually win an Oscar, but I could give it to Lakeith Stanfield for acting. I thought he was fantastic. Boots could honestly get a nomination if it was not going up against every other type of, you know, typical Oscar movie that there is. So yeah, Oscar. And if you liked what you would like this movie. Uh, so I hedged on this one a little bit. So I said half of get out for obvious reasons that we've talked about this right. movie. And then half, there's a movie called mayhem that I watched earlier this year. That's actually got Steven Young as well, but it basically takes on office life and corporate greed but it does so also in a dark satirical way but in the concept of like a rage virus that goes around where everybody in the office starts killing themselves so <laughs> it, it's got a very much kind of an anti-capitalist slant to it as well so that it seemed about right if you combine those two <laughs> all right so you what'd you rate it gave it a three and i was higher than a three until the end because <laughs> uh, i thought it was yeah. i thought it was a was a good movie up until then and then i just again I thought it derailed, and it just took a different turn. It left you with a different feel. Yes, yes, it was unique feel that I haven't felt from a movie, 
of what the hell just happened, but I don't know if that's a good thing. You know, sure, or my my thinking about it later, but more of the WTF, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So landed out of three there. Okay. What was your favorite moment? Uh, well, well, I changed that from to the beginning of the episode. Uh, <laughs> so is now the interview scene, which I had forgotten. But that was again the horse people detracted from that uh, that scene because I totally forgot about it. Right. But him him interviewing for his job that was my favorite part. <laughs> yeah. So I'm guessing I know the one thing you would change, but yeah, I. I changed the horse people. It, it it didn't need didn't need to be there. <laughs> right. It took a yeah a good movie south. <laughs> so theater or couch on your couch, paying for it or wait for free. I I think people would be disappointed if they paid for it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So free. Uh, popcorn movie or art house film? I think it really tried to be an art house film, and again, I think it turned into a popcorn movie. Oh no way! It. Yeah, the uh, M- mutant horses is not an art house film, and I just can't, I can't sure agree it is. with that. It's actually so abstract and out of left field that it don't, that makes it more art house. I no, I I took it to. There's no, no way that's a. There's no way this movie's a popcorn movie in any way. It shape, stopped or form. being. I think it, it 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 started out being an art house film. If you if you kind of semi define art house as having a pretentious kind of vein to it. Sure. That is super pretentious. Who else would throw a random, let's turn human workforces into half mutant? I mean, that is that is so well, Again, I, I thought it was very, like you said, pretentious going through the, the movie, and then it, it just says, let's throw mutant horses in Well, yeah, in but there. that doesn't make it popcorn. We have it totally doesn't, different... It doesn't, it doesn't make it good. <laughs> no. What I'm saying <laughs> is it actually makes it way more art house than if it had even just not done that. My official answer is it tried to be art house. Oh, film. It, I'm not saying it. So that's that's where whether, I'm landing. Whether it was good or succeeded is a different story, <laughs> other than what it was trying to be. I don't think in any way that's popcorn movies like skyscraper, <laughs> right? This is not that. It was not skyscraper. <laughs> so Oscar or Razzie? Razzie. Yeah, I mean, yeah. This is one of the reasons why I think we have those two questions. I think. Oftentimes we go through these questions and it's pretty obvious what they are in terms of art house or popcorn and Oscar or Razzie. But this is one of those where, I mean, I, I, we, we split on it, right? I said, Oscar, you said Razzie, but generally speaking, the general public that sees this movie will probably either love it or hate it. And that's why I think this question is good to have as a recap. Yeah. I don't see how, I mean, I see how they could have gotten Oscars for their performances. Yeah. If you stop it halfway through. Well, but, so, and there will be people that if it did win an Oscar, say that it's one of the worst movies they've ever seen, which is, I, which is par for Oscar movies, but, <laughs> but yeah, this more so than others. All right. No, I agree. All right. So if you liked blank, you would like this movie. Couldn't tell you. I, I could not tell you. And, and I, I said, I said that because I've never seen a movie like this. Never seen yeah. a movie take a turn the way this movie turned. And so if you liked the first half, you know, I don't have a, like, you. I guess you split the difference, you know, <laughs> and, and divide it in half. Yeah. Like if you like the first half, well, you're not going to like the second half. And so the second half is a very different movie than the first half. And so finding a movie that did that, I, I was at a loss. Yeah. So I, I don't think, normally I would, I'd call you out for not finding something, but this is a very unique movie. There's not much like it. If you liked Won't You Be My Neighbor, <laughs> <laughs> you would like this. Yeah. yeah. No, no, but I'm glad I saw it. 
I yeah, mean, it, yeah. It, it, for us, it needed to be seen. Yeah, and and I'm I'm glad I I texted you at, at nine fifteen <laughs> as I'm walking to the theater. Yeah, I'm glad go, there was a ten fifteen ten fifteen minutes. Like, hey, go see this. Yeah. All right. Well, that was our again long rambling discussion about Sorry to Bother You, which is a ramble worthy movie for sure. But as usual, check us out on Facebook. Go to twoviewsmovies.com to check out other episodes. Rate us and leave us a review on one of the podcast stores, and we will catch you next time. Thank you.